Today we're taking a look at uh, the U.S. military's expanded use of so-called unmanned drones. Uh, the military points to drones as a major advance in the technology of war, yet the idea that technology can provide a cleaner and safer battlefield, it's seductive, but it's been proven a lie from the catapult and crossbow from poison gas and airplanes in World War I to the so-called smart bombs of the Gulf War, war has only grown deadlier. Uh, well, in protest to uh, the use of these drones, last month 14 activists were arrested at the gate of Creech Air Force Base in the Nevada desert where the Predator and Reaper drones, those are real military names, uh, used in Afghanistan and Pakistan are piloted. The arrests occurred during a 10-day vigil where activists from across the country converged to raise awareness about drones, to open dialogue with military personnel who operate these machines, and to try to break bread with uh, the military personnel who uh, pilot them. Uh, the 14 activists were arrested, and they now face arraignment next month on charges of uh, trespass. Well, joining me on the telephone is one of those activists. Her name is Renee Espelund of Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, she uh, is married to Dan Hughes, mother of four. Uh, she's a chimney sweep, member of the Des Moines Catholic Worker, part-time staff person at an emergency homeless shelter. She's neither Republican nor Democrat. She does vote in elections, and uh, she's dedicated to the notion that how we treat others is more important than what we think, as well as the notion that the welfare of persons should come before profit. She joins us on the line. Good morning, Renee. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us from Des Moines. How, uh, how are things in Des Moines this morning? Oh, they are sunny and beautiful and spring and green, and it's, it's good. It's a lovely day. Well, we, uh, we thank you for, uh, for being here and for uh, telling us about your activism. Why don't we begin uh, with just the, the basics? We don't need to get into too many specifics about the technology because that's not really what we're about. But uh, we keep hearing about these drones and these unmanned drones. Uh, what exactly are they? Well, they're kind of in a generalized category of what the military calls unmanned aircraft systems. And so it's a remote control, basically it's like a remote control airplane on steroids. And the, um, the Predator was sort of the, the first one of this bunch, and now the Reaper is an even more souped up version of that. Um, the technical name, I mean, we won't get technical, but it's an MQ-9 Reaper is the big one. And the M stands for multi-mission. The Q refers to the unmanned nature. And the 9 is just that it's an advanced one. And these, these are pretty much, I mean, these are remote-controlled airplanes. I mean, if we really want to strip away all of the technical jargon, these are remote-controlled airplanes that, uh, that make warfare uh, easier, at least from the perspective of the Air Force and the U.S. military? Right. So they would be taken off. I mean, they'd have to be, somebody needs to get them off the ground, either in Afghanistan or at the moment in Pakistan. And then uh, control is transferred via satellite. And one of the main stations that it's transferred to is Creech Air Force Base, just north of Las Vegas. So then as soon as they're up and going, 
then control is taken over in this country in Nevada. So basically it's an unmanned war machine, which Correct. has the advantage of uh, not putting uh, military personnel directly at risk, or, or, or at risk at all, I should say. Well, right, and it can carry, like the big one, the Reaper, can carry four Hellfire missiles and two 500-pound bombs. So these really are war machines. There is no doubt about it. Because um, the Hellfire missiles are laser-guided, so you've got this sort of multi-component that's involved in them with a little camera that helps the drone operator or the pilot fly it, but then they've got these magnificent cameras that can see miles down. They've got infrared so they can see at night, and they've got this fancy radar that can kind of, you know, and Willy Wonka where the girl goes back together again, well, they can kind of extrapolate and see through dust storms or cloud cover or that kind of thing. So it's like they have uh, a vision of three components. So the the uh, spy capability is just immense. And then, of course, the the uh, payload is immense as well. Right. I mean, the the standard is the 500-pound bomb, which is the, the number that I keep hearing uh, r- repeated over and over in mainstream news and uh, in all the different, uh, you know, independent news sources. I mean, that, that's got to have some... some ridiculous uh, impact when it when it hits. Oh, right. Now, these things are incredibly powerful. It's the same thing that are dropping from F-16s. I mean, this these are just our, our ammunition of choice. It's just this one can be then remotely operated. They can stay in the air. Now, the smaller one has the advantage of being able to stay in the air like 24 hours. So they're kind of lightweight and small. Um, they can hover around, and they can do guard duty is what they can do. So they can have these over a camp in Afghanistan, and the infrared can tell where the warm guys are sleeping in their sleeping bags, and they can just hover all night long because the infrared cameras can see. They can keep an eye on the entire installation and the camp, basically your best guard duty. I mean, they can be used in that way. They can be used to actually attack. They can, you know, that's that's kind of the uh, objective is a multi-use, and they can be used for reconnaissance as well. We're speaking with Renee Espelund from the Des Moines Catholic Worker. She's uh, one of the 14 activists arrested at Creech Air Force Base in the Nevada desert, uh, calling for peace and uh, protesting the use of drones. Now, let's talk about Creech Air Force Base uh, for a minute. Tell listeners, so what exactly takes place there, and what is the the link, uh, if you will, between uh, the Nevada desert here in the United States and uh, the bombing that's taking place uh, in Afghanistan and Pakistan? Well, it's sort of a, at the bottom end of Nellis Air Force Base, which Nellis is just huge. I mean, that is a very large uh, Air Force Base. But Creech has kind of gotten a new breath of fresh air, in their opinion. It's, got, it's experienced new growth um, in that with the increase in these drones. Because when we started some of this stuff um, in Iraq, we had 
just a handful of these things, and now we've got thousands. So this technology is just absolutely taking off, and it's it's slated to just continue. But here is this beautiful desert. There's mountains like 360 degrees around us, and what they are doing is training pilots for this drone use and operating them both. It's a twofold. It's training and it's actual operation. So the pilots work with somebody they call, um, I think they call it a controller. I for, kind of forgot the name of that second guy. But they suit up. I mean, this is combat duty. So the pilots suit up. They go into these little shed things and sit. They have a, a panel of computer monitors. They take charge and they do their shift. And it's combat flight missions. So basically, you've got someone who uh, wakes up in the morning, uh, takes a shower, you know, cooks, cooks breakfast for the kids, goes off to work, is manning these, uh, these, these bomb airplanes uh, from uh, a remote panel in the Nevada desert, and then uh, goes home and could, could conceivably simply be untouched by war, at least physically, whether there's any psychological or emotional fallout from from piloting these uh, bombers is a is a different issue but this seems to make warfare rather convenient for for the military i would say first and foremost my emphasis is going to be it makes warfare very convenient for politicians because I don't want to, like, in any way downplay psychological effects can be horribly debilitating and just as serious as, like, getting a cut in your arm or blisters on your feet or even, um, you know, a mild wound of some sort. They can be extreme. And what, oddly enough, surprising or not, is being found out is that because these drones are so slow, when they were maybe F-16 pilots, that those planes go so fast. They are way up high. They drop a bomb. They go, and they're gone. They don't see this. These drones are much slower. And because of this incredible video capture, they have to then kind of review their work. And so then they end up repeatedly viewing these videos of the devastation that they've caused. Hmm. And so it is an amazingly difficult thing to drive from urban Las Vegas out to this place, suit up, go do your duty, go do war, review it repeatedly. So when you see the building with arms and legs flying out of it, you are watching that probably repeatedly, and then you're supposed to get in a car, go home, and do whatever you do. One guy talked about, one soldier talked about, you go to work, do bad things to bad people, you go home and you go to church. He says those two don't mesh very well. Yes, and and that's a point uh, a point well taken. That uh, you know, it, it really isn't the, the military personnel who should be uh, demonized. And of course, we don't want to demonize anybody. We want to appeal to reason. Uh, but it does seem to make warfare uh, easier for politicians when uh, they can tout that there is a reduced risk of uh, American uh, casualties. But we know that this doesn't this increase simply the use of um, air attacks, which we know increases the number of civilian casualties? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
I mean, I'm looking at a uh, a news piece that's up on all the websites you directed me to. It's uh, it's dated April 10th, so it's uh, just a few weeks old. It's from the International News, mm-hmm. and uh, of course, this was picked up in a lot of different papers uh, as well as congressional testimony. But it says that uh, of the 60, and that's six zero cross-border predator strikes carried out uh, by the Afghanistan-based American drones in Pakistan uh, from 2006 to 2009, only 10 were able to hit their actual targets. And uh, there was only a 6%, if you will, uh, success rate. And we put the word success in quotes because we're talking about uh, something pretty terrible. But uh, it says that there were uh, about 687 innocent Pakistani civilians compared to uh, 14 uh, wanted al-Qaeda leaders. Right. I mean, that's... It's obscene. It is absolutely obscene. And I guess I'm going to put in a plug to call this new president that's president of this country I live in to account that since he's been in office, 152 people have been killed because of these drone attacks, and two, we'll put it in quotes, bad guys. Right. have been gotten. These are women and children, and not only is Pakistan um, considered to be an ally, it's enough of an ally, we're perfectly willing to sell them $5 billion worth of F-16s. You do wonder why we are bombing them. There's been no war declared, and there's been no act of aggression. It's even really questionable what al-Qaeda we're getting, because more and more reports from military folks are coming in, we're going after Taliban. And Taliban and al-Qaeda, one more time, just like al-Qaeda and Saddam weren't, you know, the same entity, but uh, al-Qaeda and the Taliban are not the same thing. It's a code word for, it can be a good excuse, the American people will fall for it. We're smarter than that. We do not have to fall for this. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the the questions I wrote down is, uh, so aren't these drones simply making it easier for us to expand the war into Pakistan without any uh, congressional action, without any further debate and discussion? It's just considered, you know, part of uh, the so-called war on terror, which, of course, has been sanitized into be what the overseas strategic, whatever they've renamed it as. Right. Um, absolutely. And even amongst the high-ranking military folks, there are, you know, strong debates going on because what's happening now is now we are pushing militants, radical militants, into some of the urban areas of Pakistan where um, organizing, cutting off supply lines, um, all the kind of infrastructure type of things that are going to benefit our soldiers, even in Afghanistan, are going to be put in jeopardy. So they're even really concerned about the strategy of pushing everybody um, to urban areas out from desert areas because of these drone attacks. And these drone attacks are being perceived as cowardly, as obscene. Um, There is the notion that um, you're sort of obliged to revenge the deaths of loved ones that have done nothing and are, are slaughtered. And so it's unmanned slaughter, and there's going to be a really high price to pay 
And what it is is probably the world's best recruitment tool into extremist factions. Absolutely. The the headline I should point out of that, that article, uh, the International News, is uh, 60 drone hits kill 14 Al-Qaeda men, 687 civilians. And oh. uh, that, I think, uh, says a lot of it. You could find that at uh, votersforpeace.us and check on the, the press site. And uh, I want to get into the activism, but I should just point out to listeners that uh, who might have caught the 60 Minutes program over the weekend uh, looking at the use of drones, fairness and accuracy in reporting, has put out an action alert uh, calling the, uh, the program uh, incredibly biased. And I don't know, uh, Renee, if you were able to, to see it or hear it. I caught part of it uh, on the radio broadcast of 60 Minutes. And uh, as Fair points out, the only perspective that was provided uh, was the perspective of uh, military personnel, which uh, it was basically a PR stunt for, uh, you know, it was basically a PR stunt for, for the drones. Now, people could say that, that this program is, is one-sided because I'm taking the perspective of uh, mm-hmm. peace activists, but we certainly don't have the budget, the means, and the wherewithal of, uh, of a 60 Minutes uh, nor do we have the license power that 60 Minutes does. But right. uh, So let's, let's move on to uh, the activism part, because it's one thing to diagnose a problem. It's another thing to, uh, to, to do something about it. So what brought you to uh, Creech Air Force Base? Tell our listeners about what happened in, uh, in April and why you went out there. Well, we had kind of drafted what our statement of intent was, and... It was during Lent. It was coming up on Holy Week, and it, this was not, and, and it was sort of to uh, join forces with another group, which is called the Sacred Peace Walk, um, and Nevada Desert Experience, which is located in, in Las Vegas. To, and they usually go further up the road, like 12 miles up the road is the nuclear test site. So all this stuff is just so conveniently in one little spot. Um, to go and basically repent in my own complicity. And I think I can speak for most of the other people there that we are trying to raise awareness and we are doing some finger pointing because it's hard not to um, when the drone, that is the spot that this is happening. But the fingers, you know that old adage, the fingers pointing back at us, we were taking that very, very seriously. And so... I'm going to speak with some Christian terms because many of us were faith-based from a Christian perspective. It was interdenominational, and it was also interfaith because we had Jewish people. We had um, probably we had Native Americans. We had, all, we had a gamut of people who felt very strongly on a spiritual level that they were called to be there. But um, it, it was my complicity in... in in the fact that my country takes these policies, that it's imperial policies, it's policies of empire, and we are beginning as a nation to almost com- commit global genocide in certain areas, whether it be economic or banking or, um, or just flat-out war. I'm disturbed by our economy. Basically, the only thing we produce really are weapons. We do half the arms sales for the world, and we cannot have an economy based on that. 
we can't have an economy based on that and have no health care. We can't. I mean, so it's kind of a very interconnected. It's not very compartmentalized, but at some point you have to go put your body somewhere. You can't have it just spread all over in these theoretical interconnectedness. So I decided I'm putting my body at Creech with a whole lot of other incredibly wonderful people, I have to say. It was an honor to be there with the folks that I was there with. And, and so, we vigiled. So it was a prayerful vigil. And uh, explain, you uh, you made an attempt to break bread with, uh, with military personnel. How much uh, interaction did you have when they showed up for work? Did they see you? Were you able to speak with them as they... Uh... Oh, well, we were there for many, many days standing at the kind of the front gate. And I have to tell you, boy, oh, boy, it was not. I get more people flipping me off and yelling harsh things at a little vigil we do in downtown Des Moines than we did at this Air Force base. Um, we got waves. We got acknowledgement that um, they're happy that somebody's at least exercising their rights as citizens in this nation. Uh, I don't think they all agreed, but we don't know, because they didn't all stop and talk, but the, the feedback we were getting was really very positive from them. I mean, they were polite. They were nice. They were friendly. They waved. Um, it was at the last day when we really did try to go and dialogue with the pilots and, you know, the drone operators that they said, no, you have to be arrested because you're not welcome here. And maybe 60 Minutes could come and help us next time. Yeah, that would be... They, uh, didn't, they didn't land in the Vegas County Jail that night, but we did. The last, the last time I checked, the purpose of journalism is to, to question the policies of the government, not to be... Right. Uh, you know, not to be a uh, stenographer for them. So right. uh, that's what this program uh, tries to do. But, um, okay, so I want to remind listeners, by the way, that the program is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Renee uh, Espelin from the Des Moines uh, Catholic Worker. And uh, so tell us about the actual action. What? Uh, so it was on the last day that you attempted to speak to the, uh, the soldiers who pilot these and... Uh, you either had to leave or be uh, arrested on trespass? Yeah. And um, we, it's interesting because, you know, all of this, we can introduce one more variable, and that's all the private security forces that are hired in this country and abroad, um, because front gate security is private. It's not state security. And so I think we surprised them because we were able to just sort of walk in, um, and then they did get pretty serious about stopping us. And we stopped and we knelt. But we had sent a letter to the big commander and, you know, voicing our intent earlier in the week. What we wanted to do was sort of a symbolic action of we really did want to talk to the drone guys. But also because in the Mideast, because these drones, Gaza, you know, all that had just, we were just coming off of that whole incredible Water and the, the drones were very, very prevalent in Gaza. In the entire Mideast, breaking bread is symbolic of so much. But not necessarily, you use that term, it doesn't necessarily communicate to your, your 
stereotypical American soldier, but pizza does. So we brought, we had breaking of bread and an offering of pizza, and it's sort of just a symbolic gesture that here we come with very simple things that could set the stage for a meal or a sharing or a dialogue. And they, of course, were not interested in that. Um, and so we sat down, and then the longer we sat there, because they decided the base didn't arrest us. It wasn't the federal charges and that whole thing. They called Las Vegas police. So as we sat there, and the longer we sat there, and we're such a nonviolent group dedicated to that and dedicated to respect, and um, a few little things started to, sometimes there's cracks, you know, and um, that's how the light gets in is what Leonard Cohen, I think, sings. Um, there's some cracks so that there's a tiny little bit of, even if it's an actual dialogue, it's somebody dismissing a statement, but then you can respond because you've gotten a little closer um, with some of the guys who have big guns, you know, and are trying to avoid making eye contact. But we weren't there against them or to demonize them, although I think that has to be balanced and just like I have to do it with myself. I do have to call my self-accountable. That's why I was there. It's my complicity. It's not just them, them, them. Um, I was there because it's also me. It's me, and I try to live a life where I don't subsidize that whole tax scene, the income tax scene that pays for all this, but I don't do a perfect job of that, so it's me. I pay for it. I'm complicit, and all oh, that's so disturbing. But there we were, and it was a group of us who then just decided, here we will, we'll just sit, and we're going to have to stay and make this statement. And I think that's an important point because uh, a lot of people, I teach a course on, on civil disobedience, and a lot of people uh, question whether uh, civil disobedience is still as, uh, uh, still has uh, the impact that it did in the 60s, if it's still effective. And one of the things I try to point out is, uh, there are many different reasons for doing it, and one of one of them is simply to to bear witness to uh, to do it because it's right. You know, a lot of uh, the times, you know, when when I have done civil disobedience, people ask me if I if they think it's really going to make a difference, and I say, who'd you vote for in the last election, and did you think it really made a difference? And right. like, when when there uh, a lot of the times, these are people who might vote for third parties or for you know, the, the Greens or the Naders, or they voted for, for Kerry in the last election and did it make a difference, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, that being said, what kind of uh, response have uh, you received or has the action received uh, since uh, the arrests? Well, Kathy Kelly and Brian Terrell got a really good article out on Common Dreams. It was very nicely done, well-written, and a lot of people picked that up. So that, as far as just like raising awareness or education, that was good. Um, Democracy Now! has been a champ. We had two videographers there from California, from Berkeley, who did a fabulous job kind of trying to like focus in, and they were very clear on... Um, issues more of meaning than just of getting everybody's picture. And so I think the broad term, now this will go on because it sounds like as a group we were pretty much in 
solidarity with wanting to go to trial because then that can be a new level of bringing it yet to a new, you know, a new branch of government and then doing what we can to continue the action, to continue the, I don't know, if you consider it praying with your feet or praying with your body. I mean, Frederick Douglass talked about you got to pray with your legs. Um, if, you, if you think of it like that, then it continues that whole liturgy, so to speak. It just takes it one branch further into the judicial system. Um, and when is, uh, when is the arraignment? We don't know. that The arraignment's the 9th. We don't know when the trial would be set for, so sometime after. And uh, tell our listeners, because I promised I would keep you about a half hour, and we're getting it toward uh, the end of the program. Tell our listeners... Uh, where can they turn if they want to get involved in uh, this growing movement against the use of the drones? I would say the easiest thing to do at this point is go to the NevadaDesertExperience.org website. And, and that is Nevada Desert Nevada Experience. Nevada Desert all, Experience, all one word, dot .org. And we have a link to it on uh, the KUCI Talk website. Uh, so what is next for you, finally, Renee Espeland of the uh, Des Moines Catholic Worker? Actually, why don't you uh, finish off by telling our listeners a bit about the Catholic Worker? I think that's a good way to, uh, to uh, promote the wonderful work that you do. Well, historically, I think it's been, um, it isn't, like, we aren't a diocesan organization. It's pretty, they're all very independent of each other, but pretty much I would say the theme would be focusing on works of mercy. Around this place here, I think we're kind of of the idea that to try to make justice in this world, you've got to be using both arms, both hands. So it has to be the works of mercy on one hand and create changing the unjust systems on the other, and you've got to use both of them. You can't just... Another um, plate of pasta with red sauce on a plate doesn't really solve the problem. It does feed a belly, and that's really important. And then focusing on developing relationships with those who are maybe at the bottom of the structure rather than at the top of the power structure um, would be the focus. But then having to stay as busy as we can trying to modify, change, do whatever we can to bring actual justice as we see the gospel calls us to do. Renee Espelenda of Des Moines, Iowa, and the Des Moines Catholic Worker, uh, I want to thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I hope we could have you back, uh, perhaps to, to give us an update uh, after the arraignment. And uh, again, it's the NevadaDesertExperience.org. We have a link to it on our website. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.